Hey, hockey moms, check out bluelinehockeyclub.com for all the past and future podcasts. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by... Ever wonder why hockey sticks cost so damn much? What makes them so expensive? The carbon? The tooling? Nope, it's the marketing. Sponsoring those pros, buying advertising, it adds up. And you pay for all of it. So the guys at ARC Hockey started ARC to make state-of-the-art sticks that don't cost a car payment. And while their sticks are handmade of a 100% high-quality carbon fiber in the same factories as the big brands, they are bringing them directly to you from the only place you can find them, arthockey.com. No pros, no middlemen, no endorsement contracts to pay for, just guys like you who love hockey. So check them out at arthockey.com. That's archockey.com. Hey, welcome back to the Blue Line Hockey Club, episode 45 tonight. We have the usual suspects in the house with us. We have Patrick Uncle Lardy Sullivan. What's up, Patrick? Aloha. And the local nerd on staff, Robbie Pete Peters. What's up, Pete? Hey, how's your mom and him? And all around sports guru, Derek D Train. He too. What's up, D Train? What's up, sweet host? And your host tonight, Mark, the Doctor Morley. Oh, Doctor. Ew. We got another NHL legend with us tonight, Pat Elniak. Pat, how's it going? Hey, good, 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 thanks. I don't know if I call it a legend, that's uh, pretty high. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey man, you got a lot of games and a lot of cups of coffee in the NHL, and guess what, the four guys on this show have zero. Zero. So, <laughs> you know, we never had the, the taste of lacing them up and getting on that NHL ice and scoring that first goal or, you know, getting in that first fight or any of that good shit. So, you know, it's always a pleasure for us to get somebody that's played that many games hey. in the NHL. Good to dream. <laughs> where are you nowadays where do you live i uh reside in uh, calgary alberta calgary oh. alberta i'm a western canada boy born in home right. lake saskatchewan and yeah no we uh after i retired i moved back to saskatoon uh and then made the trek out to calgary for the last uh, 16 years i guess do you run into theo flurry out there at all yeah i see him once in a while uh i haven't played hockey with him for uh a year or two but Played lots of junior against uh, Theo and uh, obviously in the NHL, and we were world junior teammates at one time. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that fight you guys were in with the Russians. <laughs> it was so much fun at the time. <laughs> Is it, there's a name for it, right? What's the name? Oh, the, the Red Brawler, the Russian Brawler. Yeah, no, it was, uh, <laughs> it happened so quickly. And it was so explosive. And, uh, you know, back then, you know, Russia, Canada, there was like extreme hatred. You know, before that, the Russians didn't really, you know, weren't really in the NHL. So it was like, it was game on. And it never felt so good to punch one of those guys. <laughs> <But> <laughs> after all said and done, you know, obviously, uh, when it was over, it was... Uh, it was quite a quite a showdown, and you know, obviously there's lots of regrets. You know, with all all our stats got erased, we we're it's like we we're never there. And I'll never forget, I got a package in the mail one day, 
and I opened it up and it was a gold medal and it was from Harold Ballard and he wrote a nice note and thank you and said don't be ashamed proud of you guys so that's pretty cool so that was kind of that was kind of yeah no that was pretty cool so that was it but you know obviously lots of talk about it and lots of negativity and i guess there was uh can't change history but anyways all your all your stats were erased from that is that what you said yeah if you uh if you go in that year and try and find the stats everything's gone it's like we weren't even there i didn't know that that's like some government conspiracy shit (laughs) <laughs> kind of a little bit of a bullshit you know it's kind of funny you talk to everybody and canada's won so many gold medals and it's hard to remember the teams but they always remember the team that had the brawl <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we're talking about it today <laughs> yeah we didn't ask theo about it but we should have he probably so, had some good yeah well, he was uh he was one of the little uh, shit disturbers that was started all that <laughs> yeah. can't believe that can't believe it <laughs> and they like point a stick at the bench and make like a machine gun uh, motion towards the bench or something like that. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll never forget. I, I just finished shift. I come off and I was fixing a, fixing my skate and I was kind of sitting on the bench and you could, you know, hearing some of the guys are kind of bickering a little bit. And I took a peek over to the left and you could see it was getting pretty intense in the corner. And then all I looked up and then, all these Russians jumped the bench and it was like, holy fuck, game on. <laughs> and guys are jumping over and it was just a slugfest. But, you know, it's it was one of those things, you just was uncontrollable. It happened so fast and so quickly. And, you know, in junior hockey back then or, or you know, at any time, you're always out there to protect your teammates and stand up for one another. That's what that's one of the things you taught in hockey, and it was just one of those decisions that that's uh, that was that was a decision that was made, and uh, and we got to live with it. So I got uh, I got no regrets. Yeah, I mean, Pat, that's one of the cool things we we wanted to have you on is you have the a different perspective. You know, we're we're a little bit younger, so we grew up towards the tail end of of that era. But you know, what was it like growing up in uh, Western Canada and? You know how you got to uh, tell us how you got to the Raiders. You know back then it was uh, you know it was like Darwinism. It was like survival of the fittest. That's how that's how you played hockey back then. I um, it's amazing. I'm from Foam Lake, and there's um, Dennis Blanche and Bernie Federico, and we only have a town of 1,200 people. And then if you go uh, 30 miles north, you run into Calvington. And that's obviously home of Wendell Clark and Joey Kosher and Kelly Chase and, and Barry Melrose. The list goes on. So for a population of roughly 3,000 people, I bet you there's 15 or 20 players played in that National Hockey League. And to this day, I just still believe it was just a way of life back then. Yeah. Uh, when you went on the game or when you played the game, when you're like peewee, you were just kind of taught to win. Like there was no losing. It was you're out there to do whatever you can and fight and scratch and crawl. And it was just the mentality back then. And uh, I remember our, our hockey team, we only had eight players on our on our team, eight players in Adam and Pee Wee. And you literally played. Oh, my dad was a coach. So I played probably 60 minutes. And uh, <laughs> no favoritism. <laughs> but uh, you didn't come off the ice until you won. And uh, 
I think it just kind of <laughs> transferred to, throughout the the small town prairie boys. Uh, it just it just folded right in, or just kind of transferred into the their junior, and then eventually to the National Hockey League. What is it about uh, hockey in Canada that you guys just pump out players? Uh, well, you know, for it's our national sport. It's uh, growing up as a kid, you idolize like Gila Fleur is my idol. You know, that's all you knew. There was no Xbox or no distractions back then. It was, uh, you got to remember, I was a farm boy. So it was either doing chores on the farm or playing hockey. <laughs> so yeah, I was right. like, <laughs> this is my way out is if I can be a hockey player, uh, then I can cast the chores. So, you know, that's kind of the kind of the approach we had. Like when I got to Prince Albert, it was, you were all in. Like you wanted to make this work because... Because you know, playing hockey was uh, playing hockey is pretty special. Were you staying with a family then, or a billet? Did they have billets then? What, what was that like? Yeah, you. Uh, I got there. Well, first I went to Notre Dame as uh, as a Bantam player. Actually, uh, was fortunate. Wendell Clark and uh, and myself were roommates in Notre Dame. He was a year older than me, so I played Bantam, and then he played midget. So. I spent a year at uh, Notre Dame, and then uh, it's funny back then. You know, you, the Bantam draft is everything to kids in Bantam, and they had a draft. You didn't even know you got drafted. So I started my uh, career out in Notre Dame, and I was drafted by Prince Albert. So then next year, when I started out playing midget, I didn't make the top hounds team. So then I was going to play on the second midget team and PA wasn't okay with that. So they pulled, they gave me an offer to go play with the midget team in PA. So that was kind of my trek to, to the Raiders. So I played a, played a year with the, the Raiders and then made the step as a 17 year old to the big team. I think your stats are pretty good out there with the Raiders. A uh, couple of seasons with over a hundred points. So uh, seems like that helped you uh, propel yourself eighth pick in the first round. It was just one of those scenarios. We had a phenomenal team who won Memorial Cup. Uh, there was Danny Hodgson. Terry Simpson was a coach. He was like just ahead of his time with power plays and penalty kills, penalty kills and strategy and just the culture that he created. And we were like just had a wicked team for toughness. There was Dave Manson and Kenny Baumgartner and my, my, uh, my left winger, I played with uh, Ron Dahlman, my left winger. He literally had just under 400 minutes a season <laughs> for every year for like four years. So, wow. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, seen a lot of intimidation. And, uh, and then we also had the skill to, to back it up and put the puck in the net. So it was always good. So, Pat, we're all from uh, upstate New York. You ever heard of like uh, like near Cornwall or Kingston, Ontario? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of uh, Cornwall. Haven't been there, but yeah, no, I I'm pretty familiar with the area. They're not familiar, but I, I kind of know where everything is. Yeah, yeah. So we're from right up there. Um, you played a little stint in Ottawa. I saw that, but uh, tell us what your draft was like. It was at the Montreal Forum. Um, did you go to the draft, and what did you do after you got drafted? It was. Uh, I went there with my dad. And, um, you know, they, Donnie Meehan was uh, my agent at that time when he kind of gave me a, or give us some indication where we we're going to go. I thought I was going to go kind of from seventh to 15, somewhere in there. I talked to, talked to quite a few teams. Um, so I, I was sitting there with my dad and 
I forget who was drafted right before I got dropped, but anyway, um, you know, they said that Winnipeg's up, and I turned to my dad. Dan Woodley. Oh, I'm not. Oh yeah, yeah, David. He went Vancouver. Yeah, so I talked to yeah. Vancouver, and there's possibility there. So then uh, they they picked Woodley, and then they said Winnipeg's turn. And I turned to my dad, and I'll never forget this, and say, "Wow, I know I'm not going there. I never talked to those guys once." <laughs> so uh, <laughs> and my dad looked at me. Yeah, I know that sounds good. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I turned back, and they announced my name. So uh, I went down there, and uh, it's like a, it was like a holy shit moment. I shook hands with John Ferguson, late John Ferguson, mm. and it was like, wow, what an individual this uh, this fellow is. His hands are like just like like huge, and I was like a, a, an eighteen eighteen year old, uh, about one hundred and sixty pounds or so. So got my picture with him, uh, John Ferguson, and uh, it was you know one of my best days in hockey. Did you go out on St. Catherine Street after? Yeah, we did. It was, uh, it was uh, yeah. Actually, it's so far, it's so long ago. I, 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 I don't even know. Good answer. Was, uh, yeah, that was Good answer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No comment. Uh, no, it was, it, it, there, was uh, there was a bunch of Western Hockey League guys there, and, you know, everybody was uh, pretty tight back then. So I think we just went out as a group and, and, uh, and then we flew out the next day and, uh, I was back to the farm, working on the farm. It was just happening yeah. that quick. So, Pat, you, you had a lot of good years in Winnipeg. I mean, every it looked like every season when you were over 20 goals. Talk about your experience out there. I, uh, when I got drafted there, I uh, uh, had my first training camp. I was so nervous. and just played like shit. <laughs> uh, it was just one of those things when I went there. It was just like I was the eighth overall first round guy went there didn't really feel comfortable nervous and you know i didn't i actually didn't last that long they just kind of said you know look you should go back to junior and got a little bit of a taste of it and experience and you know here's the things that you need to work on you know john ferguson says what he thought of me what he thought i could do in the national hockey league so it was kind of a turning moment when I left or got sent back to junior. You know, I he kind of gave me a lot of confidence of what uh, what type of player I was going to be and what I was going to need to take. So I went back to junior, had another good year, and then when I came back the second year, it was just that much more comfortable and I could show my skills. And I got off to a pretty good start. Got sent down to Moncton, spent some time down there, got hurt, then I come back. And um, when I come back the second round, I think it was the second time, uh, I got put with Thomas Steen. And when I just got on the ice, I just had instant chemistry with him. He was a real patient uh, puck protection guy, and I could just kind of find scenes for him and support him, and he would slip me the puck, and, and then that was kind of my game as, uh, as finishing, so... So that was kind of the start of a four and a half, I think, five-year uh, career in uh, in Winnipeg. We uh, we hit the chemistry and then played with uh, like Doug Smale and Brent Ashton and a few other wingers, but mainly it was Thomas and um, and uh, yeah, that was that. Yeah, so it looks like you had you played 56 games and then you had two 80-game seasons, and so you must have been pretty healthy going through the prime of your career there. What was it like back then with all the you know clutch and grabs still? in the league and a lot rougher game. And, you know, was that 
a big toll on your body when you played those 80 game seasons? Yeah, I can never forget. They have that. Um, they don't. I don't even know if they make it anymore. They have that two sided black sticky tape. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 friction, friction, friction tape. tape. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time ago, but anyway. So like I remember in the dressing room, Randy Carlo, he would like double tape his stick with that black sticky tape. So if you're breaking to the net and they get that stick out in your hands, it's like it's like a hook. You just can't <laughs> can't shake it. <laughs> so um, I would have loved to play in today's game where you know obviously the sticks are below the waist and there's you know so much less uh, interference or hooking. But back then it was just uh, it was just an all of tug fest. So I was I actually was watching. Uh, it's funny. I was slipping through the channels on tv the other night and they had an old classic game on and i couldn't believe how much hooking and tripping and no calls no calls none and then you flick the channel to the new game and it's just like speed and passing and give and goes so you know in my opinion certainly for how i played the game it's made it so much better but yeah yeah actually I actually read a few articles that were saying that you were such a finesse player that actually if they took some of that, you know, water skiing through the neutral zone and clutch and grab out that you probably would have doubled your points just because of the finesse player that you were. And uh, I, I could see that's how the players are playing now with, you know, we've always been talking that the scores of the NHL games are like eight to six now, you know, compared to when you played, they were two to one. So, uh, it's changed big time. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I'm a fan of the game. It's it's fun to watch McDavid fly around and all the good players show their skills. Marner in Toronto, and and you get to see the plays and the skill, and and you know they those guys can really expose players that don't have the skating ability or the or the the quickness that uh, before. You know, if you weren't that quick or if you're strong, you could really you could hide some of those things with your stick and your positioning and your hooking. So, yeah, no, it's uh, I always tell my sons, though, I played in a tough area and I had to be really tough and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I do have to try and get some bragging rights around our house. Anyway. <laughs> what are your boys doing now? Are they still playing? Uh, I, I got three boys, Campbell. Jackson and Hudson Campbell was uh, I was actually a finesse player as you guys know and he yep. was a tough guy how does that happen <laughs> so he uh, he, had, he had a career with uh, Everett Regina and um, Prince George and he was invited to Philadelphia's camp and Boston's camp and then he had a he had a real bad injury in one of the camps in Boston and, and had to kind of sit out and have an operation on his pectoral. He just didn't recover after that. And uh, Jackson, my middle guy, is uh, he's last year in finance uh, degree, so he's uh, he had a junior A stint uh, out in Western Canada, so he's doing pretty well. And then Hudson, my youngest one, is... Um, he was a Western Hockey League player with uh, Kootenai in Spokane and signed with the Marlies this this spring or the yeah yeah this spring. So he's uh, he's in the Marlies organization and then he's with uh, currently playing in New Newfoundland with the Growlers. 
hockey family, yeah. Nice. I actually saw something on uh, Ty Domi and Max Domi. They had a little little thing on them on the NHL network, and they had them both on the ice, and how Ty Domi said he could still kick his ass. And, you know, it's just <laughs> kind of the same story of, uh, you know, a fighter and then his son being more of a finesse guy scoring goals and just totally different style of play. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny how it works out sometimes. It's uh, It was actually kind of, you know, like you have a father-son relationship and, you know, I was like, geez, like, what am I going to tell Campbell? Like, he's like, what am I, I can't teach him how to fight. So I try to phone my buddy and in my left, the guy played uh, left wing, Rod Dolman, and, and I asked him, I've never really been in fights before. Like, well, how do you, what kind of advice do you give him? And he was laughing. He said, you know what? He said, just grab on and aim for the back of the head. Tell him that. Giver. Giver. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's good. There's not as much of the fighting anymore. We usually ask the guys, like, their opinions on uh, the uh, enforcer kind of fading in the NHL and not really being a big part, big part of the lineup anymore. You know, and the, from your era where the, the players kind of policed the team on the ice and, and now that's uh, you see like the hits, like the Tom Wilson hits and some of these other dirty hits that they happen and there's not a big fight after. So do you think there's a need for the enforcer to come back a little bit or what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, there's one thing I think that, you know, all the, you know, the good teams that I played on, there's that, um, you could just feel it in the dressing room when guys, you know, stuck up for each other and, you know, some guys did some hard things out there. Some of your skill guys got, you know, rattled and that's not there today. You know, you kind of see some of the really good players, McDavid, getting kind of roughed up in, against Calgary the other night and bleeding on the bench. And, you know, it's, it's, it's in a tough situation because you can't really do anything because you take, you take a couple penalties. The power plays are so good. You know, back when we played, you know, there wasn't really all these data and stats and breakdown. If you take an extra one or two penalties, it's going to cost you X number of points in the standings and those type of things. So it's so exposed and, you know, I don't think guys today want to be the guy that everybody points the finger that we took the dumb penalty and we lost the game. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer. What I was kind of curious, for the record, Pat, I've got a two-year-old son. His name's Hudson, too. So that's kind of <laughs> oh, cool, cool to hear that. But, yeah. But so what do you got going on? Now? What, what part of uh, your life is dedicated to the game nowadays? What are you doing with hockey? I got... Um, uh, when I retired, um, there wasn't really a skills program for the, I had three boys that, you know, they're growing up and hockey Canada, you know, I don't think really facilitated a, a, a good skills program or, you know, I don't still think they have one today. So I just took it upon myself that, uh, I'm going to build a skills program. So kind of had some ideas and you know, watch some things on the internet and talk to guys, players, what worked. And then I just developed a, a kind of a skills program and it got going and then their friends got going and then it just built and, and now um, all my boys are gone and I'm, I'm kind of stuck with a couple hundred players in Calgary that I kind of coach every, uh, every August and get them ready for training camp. 
and I enjoy it. It's, it's fun to kind of, I've always been one of the guys that, uh, you know, you see someone score a nice goal on the ice and you kind of say to yourself, well, geez, how did, how did that happen? Like, what are the steps that he, that he needed to do in order to, to execute that nice shot or that nice deke? And if you work it backwards and figure out the steps, well, geez, maybe I could teach somebody that. So that's kind of how my hockey uh, program was built. And, uh, it's not my full-time job. I, uh, I kind of do it kind of on the side and, uh, it's more, more passion, passion towards the game than anything. Very cool. Yeah. You see USA hockey is trying to do a similar type thing where they're drilling down into smaller ice area where they're trying to get kids to play with their head up more and smaller, um, games and stuff like that and practice. And, you know, so it seems like, um, like what you're doing is something similar to, help take the kid to the next level and, and, um, you know, so instead of just, you know, putting them in drills and, you know, going up end to end and stuff like that, uh, you know, these good creative little drills that people are coming up with are trying to help people be better goal scorers and put them in better situations to be better hockey players. So that's all good stuff. Yeah, no, I use, um, use a lot of spray paint on the ice. I'm a big component of, uh, you know, agility your east is west is is more valuable than your north and south game you know if you line everybody up on the goal line and you're racing down to the other end everybody's pretty close with each other but if you line up everybody in the goal line and you do some agility drills east and west it's a huge separator and you know that's kind of my opinion where the game's at is that puck protection at east and west so i do a lot of stuff where if you put paint on the ice and you stretch out some of the some of the marks and and you can really work on your agility and then you can go quickly over the paint it's not like going around a, a pylon so it's all about range and and then obviously just layering the speed on the skill and 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 just doing a lot of repetition so it's uh it's 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 pretty i, I you know it's it's fun for me i've had uh had some you know i've worked with matt dumbo the last uh three or four years. Uh, I've had Max LaJoy in the program here. I had Logan O'Connor. So it's kind of fun to watch these guys uh, when you have them when they're midgets and then they go to junior and then they take that step to the NHL and then you watch them on TV. It's like, wow, I can just remember when he was playing Bantam hockey and now he's in the NHL. So that's kind of why I do it. Very cool. You have a, you have a plug or website that you can plug on the show to, so people can find you. Yeah, I got something really original, petellinacockydevelopment.com. <laughs> nice. Yeah, good. Speaking of hockey development, just while we got you on the show here, uh, maybe touch on briefly being a Western Canada guy. Um, up in Edmonton, they got rid of their GM this week. Um, what do you think the next step for that team is? I mean, new coach, uh, you know, trying to pull the team together. What do you think is the next step there? Oh, that's a loaded question. In <laughs> <laughs> a Calgary guy, you probably don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I actually, I am an Edmonton fan. I've always, uh, back in uh, just growing up in Saskatchewan, uh, I've always, always liked Edmonton. Uh, and actually, Hudson, my youngest guy, is when he was growing up, his whole room was the Edmonton Oilers. That was his, that was his team. So when he met Ryan Smith when he was young, so. Nice. Um, you know, to answer your question, they got the best player in the game. 
and he's young and uh that's just you're just gonna have to be patient and build around him and it's in my opinion it's so hard to to acquire free agents or make deals so it's going to be a a process of the draft again you know their record hasn't been good obviously in the draft with with all the the first rounders and you know things players that didn't work out so um you know that'd probably be the first thing that i'd look at is is you know why is the draft off the mark and if they can fix that then you know, just like all the other successful teams uh you know they find these uh these young players like um the the kid in vancouver the peterson there peterson you know, yeah i'm a big fan of that kid when i seen him play i was like wow look at the skill this guy <laughs> has so if you get a couple of those guys or one or two and you add them every year, it doesn't take long to, to really fix your team and, and, and get it going in the right direction. So a uh, tough yeah. question. That's just off the top of my head. That's how I would try and do it, I guess. <laughs> all right. We'll send it to the, to the organization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you see guys like Elias Pedersen, like, I mean, these young kids, 19 year old kids coming into the league now and, you know, contributing right away. And I, I see, more and more of that where you see these rookies actually being like dominant on their team, like the uh, Islanders with Brazil and, you know, Matthews and, you know, Eichel when uh, he came into the league. So that you're, you're right on there, you know, skip some of these good draft picks. There's a good chance that they're going to come contribute right away. Yeah. No, if you look at the, you know, if you look at, if you just, it'd be amazing. Hey, if you in hockey, if you could, uh, if you didn't know any of the players, who they are, who the history was, or whatever, if you just walked into the room, into the rink, and picked the team on speed of what you saw on the ice, it'd be amazing what team you'd have compared to, you know, the team that this players did this for the last five or ten years, and this guy got drafted here, and he should be there, and this guy's got a contract, so he can't move anywhere, and. You know, if you just pick the team with your eyes, you know, I, I think that's what the good teams do these days. And when you do that, backs are going to come to the top. And right now, the kids that have the most speed are kind of the kids between the 19 and 24 bracket because they've been trained that way. They put in all the extra training and been developed around speed. And it shows. Definitely. That's, that's true. Well, Pat, we really appreciate you taking some uh, time out of your evening to talk to Blue Line Hockey Club. It's been a lot of fun, and you know, it's kind of it's always good to hear a different story of how somebody got to the NHL, and you know, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, thank you guys. I'm uh, I'm a real fan. Uh, your guys, I got your website on, and I'll be following you guys uh, all the time now. So appreciate having me on, and uh, yeah, good luck with the show. It's awesome. It's an honor. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, Pat. Thanks, Pat. Hey, hey, awesome. Thank you guys. Take care. Take care. All right, boys. Pat Elliott coming on. He's uh, another NHL or played four or five hundred games in the NHL. I'm not sure the exact number, but he had a, a lot of cups of coffee in the league. And it's always fun to talk to these guys and that played in different eras. I mean, uh, you know, even Theo Fleury to Tutu, it's kind of a different era there. Um, you know, just just a different game now. So it's a good to hear the different perspectives from when they played and what they think about the game today. And, you know, it's always uh it's always cool to get somebody on and talk about their experience. It's just, it amazes me, you know, to see his stats that he had 
back in the day when it was the clutch and grab and how many players back then could actually put up more numbers in the current NHL style of play. And he's one of those guys that if you watch some YouTube videos on him, you know, some of his finesse, you know, he had some silky mitts and what he could do in the current NHL. Like I said earlier, he could probably, he probably would have doubled his points for sure every year. For me, he must have had, Rob. For me, I'd ask that question backwards. What what kids today could play and put up those numbers back then? Yeah, that's good. That's a good question too. Yeah, and like I was just gonna say too is that he had uh, three seasons that he played all eighty games. So I mean, to be a finesse guy and to be um, that, playing that kind of game and not get hurt in a whole season, I mean, that's pretty impressive too. You know, a lot of guys miss one, two games, maybe a little injury there. They might get the flu. You never know. But you know, he's got three Seven. seasons. One one season he had seventy four points in eighty games. I mean, that's really fucking good. <laughs> yeah, back yeah. then too. That's back really then, good. Yeah, yeah eighty three pims. Uh, you know, so he he must have been, you know, grinding pretty good to have eighty three yeah. penalty minutes too. So, you know, it looks like he was kind of an all around player, and it's a it's a big feat to make it to the NHL and to have these guys come on and talk about it. It's awesome. Yep. How many times we say it? There's so there's, you know, no two paths that are the same to the NHL. So I yeah. like to hear it. We've been on a West Coast swing lately. Yeah, we got a lot West Coast boys, eh? Yeah, maybe we should maybe we should start targeting the West Coast with our sponsors and everything like that. <laughs> Western Canada, maybe get some uh, cowboy hats and promote the Stampede this year. All right, boys. Let's get into some. You still using your Arc Hockey sticks? Yeah, I mean, if you haven't checked out archockey.com yet, you need to get on there and check out check out their uh, their sticks. They're actually, you know, for a you know one hundred and forty dollars, you're getting a stick that's you know three hundred and fifty dollar quality, right? So, like we talk about, they they make them in the same same factories that Warrior and Bauer are making their sticks. They're coming out of the same machines, um, you know. So they're just giving people the opportunity play in men's league and not have to break the bank to to go buy a stick and you know the quality is there um, carbon fiber light you know they got great curves you can choose from and they have six different curves you can choose from um, the sticks have like a tacky grip on them that's great feel on the ice you know so i can't say enough about uh arc hockey so go on their website arcocky.com and use blue line as a promotion code that'll get you thirty dollars off your your next arc hockey stick even though they're a little bit cheaper than the others they're straight money. Straight money. Stop straight money. Stop spending two. Stop spending a car payment on a hockey stick when you can go to Arc Hockey and pick one up for half the price. It's a no-brainer. Yep, great story there. Uh, just a bunch of guys like us that like to play hockey and you know took their backgrounds and used it to the benefit of manufacturing and marketing, and they're doing a good job with it. So yeah, about Check time. Well, guys, we got the uh, All-Star game just happened this past week everybody was on break and uh some guys got a break and some guys had to play a three three on three game and little skills competition so i'm sure they had some fun at the the game after and stuff too so yeah it looked like a good time out in san jose most of the boys got to go out if they're in the cold weather got to go out and see some palm trees and maybe uh take a glimpse of the ocean but yeah i watched a little bit of the the all-star game i see the metropolitan division one ten to five Again, it was that three-on-three. 
So, you know, the Central, Pacific, uh, Metropolitan, and Atlantic played each other, um, then played played into the championship game in which Metropolitan beat the Central Division 10-5. to I think earlier, Mark, you were saying that, uh, you know, Matthew Barzell and Sidney Crosby had five points, two goals, each. three assists each. They were lighting it up pretty good, so uh, good All-Star game. Yeah, it was good to, good to see. I mean, I watched the skills competition. Um, there was a couple of cool moments. Uh, one, t- the uh, what was it? The um, passing competition? No, shooting competition. Uh, Austin Matthews took off his jersey and he was wearing a, a Marner jersey, who you know obviously is one of the legends of San Jose's program. And uh, so the the crowd went nuts, and and he didn't do that great. I think it was twenty seconds, but Pasternak ended up winning that competition with a accuracy i think he was 13 seconds or something like that so it was pretty cool man um you know i think one of the highlights uh you know that's on every social media thing right now is kendall coin in her fastest skating competition that was pretty awesome to see well yeah that and i mean the, the women kind of stole the show of the weekend between uh kendall coin and uh brianna decker um i mean brianna decker who's been on the show here before I mean, she lit up uh, Twitter for sure with the hashtag pay Decker after the, um, you know, it was, it was kind of the exhibition, kind of like a, she, she put on a um, passing. Was, right? passing yeah, well, it was, it was during the passing competition that they were trying to do, but she kind of just put on kind of like the initial uh, show as to how it went. And some people online actually clocked her as far as speed go and she actually beat the guy that won the competition by like three or four seconds or something like that and so this whole hashtag pay decker thing came out actually i think ccm stepped up to the plate getting the twenty five thousand dollars which is awesome i mean i think um we put something on on twitter about this i think it's just amazing what these girls in one weekend did for the game of, of women's hockey i mean it's it, it really is immeasurable, and for guys that everybody here right now, we've got little girls, man, and it's like almost brings a tear to your eye to like see how those those girls influence the game in one week. I mean, they put in massive amount of hours to you know to develop the game that they play, but and there's been a lot of women before them that have paved the way. But to see this kind of exposure kind of gives us as parents of young girls such such an enjoyment to see that, and such a hopeful. Um, vision of the future what the game might be like for them if they if they so choose to play yeah i mean it was great at the nhl to bring them on uh kind of promote the nwhl and the cwhl and to uh you know kind of get them out there uh, promote the leagues and um promote the three girls i mean two of the girls won gold medal beating canada this year in south korea and i see adidas stepped up and gave them both um sponsorship there's three three girls there and they all got sponsorship deals with adidas which is big for those girls because you know the girls national hockey league they don't they're not making much money so for decker to get twenty five thousand dollars and then a sponsorship deal with adidas i mean that helps her um focus a little bit more on the sport to grow it more where she doesn't have to get a part-time job nine to five so um yeah, they also have, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand or have heard, but the USA hockey is kind of opposite of where you would have like USA soccer, where the USA soccer men's get paid a, a shitload more than the women's team. And they've had 
all kinds of controversy over that. But the USA Hockey actually pays those women um, a year yearly salary to be part of that team. So they actually they they get paid by USA Hockey every year because they're on that team. So the men like you know Greenway's not getting a check every week from USA Hockey, but the the women do. So you know they're USA Hockey's trying to keep these women in the game, you know, so they can play hockey full time. And, you know, they get a check from the USA Hockey, they get a check from the WHL, um, you know, so all this other stuff that they do on the side helps and, you know, actually makes it a career for them, you know, which is half the battle for, for them at, at this time in that sport. Well, frankly, it should be that way. I mean, these girls have a massive amount of talent. So, I mean, it's uh, it was neat to see on display. I, I watched, I remember watching the clip of uh, Kendall going around the ice and I was like, holy fuck, man, she's flying. I mean, and her stride, too, was like, I mean, I, I was, I kind of envied it, to be honest with you. I mean, she was oh, she'd smoke it. She'd smoke all of us. Oh, my oh, yeah. God, man. The way she was skating, though, was just, it was like a clinic. The way she was, the way she was skating around the ice, it was, it was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, and um, she did beat, beat Clayton Keller. Um, you know, she, she didn't, I think there was, what, maybe 10 people that did the contest, and she came in nine. Clayton Keller came in. 10 so when we get him on the show i'll ask him about that yeah so some of the uh winners the fastest skater was connor mcdavid the one with the puck control that had to do a few different things stick handling uh pass over a couple barriers into a net and then um kind of lift the puck over that was johnny gaudreau um the goalie with the most saves was lundquist um if you guys didn't see lundquist he was unreal and well, he's used to getting peppered. Yeah. yeah, he got twelve. He had twelve saves in a row. Um, you know, I think the next was eight. So he crushed that competition. Johnny Gaudreau was amazing. I don't know if you got to see that. He, that was a competition that Brianna Decker did. You know, he was just on fire with that. Uh, Patrick Kane was just behind him. Um, so those two put on a clinic for the passing. Yep, the premier um, premier passer was Leon Drysaddle of Edmonton. He did that in minute nine. That's the one. That's the one that uh, Brianna Decker. Hard, hardest shot was um, the winner of that was uh, Carlson. He had 102.8. Um, yep, John Carlson from Capitals. Yeah, accuracy shooting was Pasternak for the Boston Bruins. He had 11.3. So those are the winners of that. So it was a All Star game. Yeah, Brett Brent Burns and what's the captain's name from San Jose? Um, Jesus. Uh, both of their kids were there. I don't know if you saw any of that, but that was kind of cool. The kids were out on the ice and they were having a little family time being in San Jose. Um, they had their go, uh, whatever those GoPro cameras. GoPro on yeah. So they, it was a good family outing for a couple of the older San Jose all-stars. So that was kind of cool to see that they were in the locker rooms asking for everybody's autograph. And Joe Pelvalski's the captain of the, uh, yeah. His son and Brett Burns' son were both out there the whole time, so that was kind of cool for them. I think the skills stuff is actually more enjoyable to watch than the game itself at this point, honestly. But Yeah, yeah, it's entertaining. I mean, the three-on-three is pretty exciting, but, you know, these guys aren't – I mean, if you watch any of it, they, you know, they're not going full out. I mean, they're not laying people out or they're not, you know – they're playing defense but not very hard. Did you watch the, anybody watch the uh, NFL um, pro, the pro Bowl? No, I didn't. It's just pathetic. I, I mean, I only watch bits and pieces of it, but it's like, I mean, why? I don't even know who wants to watch that shit. I mean, nobody's even, nobody's tackling. Like, they're blowing the whistle as soon as anybody, like, 
you know, gets a fingernail on somebody. It's just, it's so stupid. But I think it's, they're, they're trying, obviously, NHL, NFL, whatever the league is, they're trying to protect their, yeah, they protect had, their assets, right? They're saying they had 8 million viewers for the NFL Pro Bowl this year, um, which is up from uh, most other pro Pro Bowl or All-Star games, you know, um, NBA 2018 at 4.9. Uh, pro Baseball had just below that. So uh, Those are small numbers, though. You know? Those are small numbers, especially for football. I wonder what hockey was. Uh, sure. the, how many sure. viewers they had for the All-Star game. It'd be interesting. They probably had more for the skills comp. Just kind of like the uh, the baseball home run derby. You know, it's always kind of exciting to watch. Where's our IT guy when you need him? Yeah, Robbie P. Peters is uh, – out with the flu, so we'll have to get a doctor's note on that and make sure he's not uh, out partying. Some big trades. Yeah, what do you got for trades, Patrick? Throw them out there. Oh, that Jake Muzzin. Uh, Toronto finally went out and got a veteran defenseman, Jake Muzzin from uh, L.A. So Toronto got Jake Muzzin. L.A. got uh, defenseman Sean Dersey, right wing Carl Grundstrom. And then a 2019 first-round pick. So pretty much two um, prospects in the first-round pick this year for Jake Muzzin. I call him Muzzy. That's pretty big because that's what they needed because, you know, they say they're going to pair him up with Morgan Riley, um, Toronto's top uh, defenseman. And um, he's become a legitimate defenseman in the league. He's third in scoring with 50 points. He's got 13 goals. And he's two behind Mark Giordano of Calgary. And uh, Brett, Bird, Brett Burns is um, leading defenseman in the NHL. So to, to put Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin together, I mean, that's going to help Toronto big time. It might uh, get them over the hump there to uh, beat Tampa. Um, so that was a big trade there. And then, yeah, uh, uh, you know, just real quick, Pat, that, that's been the talk of the, uh, you know, the trade world for a while now. The last couple of weeks, everybody's been talking about how Toronto's going to trade for a defenseman and, you know, we've talked about, you know, they all the firepower up front, but they lack defense and, you know, need defense to win championships. And, you know, so they jumped ahead of everybody else as far as the, you know, trade deadline and, and got their defensemen. So, I mean, they have a vision of what they want and they know they've got to beat a team like Tampa. So they're getting there. Mike Babcock coached him before and he's actually won Stanley Cups, um, Jake Muzzin. So that's a pretty big uh, defenseman they put back there on the blue line. So that's huge for them. Um, the other rumors going on is um, out in Columbus, Panarin. Oh, yeah. What are they, they going to do with him and their goalie, Sergei Bobrovsky? Uh, Bobrovsky had that little dilemma with his coach a few weeks back. He kind of got in an argument with his coach, and then I think his coach pulled him or some shit like that, and then he got in an argument with a couple players. But uh, supposedly in the locker room, they say everything's smoothed over, but – you know, that's not the case. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, Columbus is able to still be in a playoff picture when there's so much drama going on behind the scenes. It seems like a lot of people reporting there's a ton of drama going on. But uh, I don't know, Panner, and where, where do you think he might end up, boys? I, there's some talk. Maybe the Rangers might be a player on I him. Saw that, um, man. A lot of yeah, teams. I, I mean, he's a top 15 player in the league. He's, this is his second 80-plus point season. So it's not like he's – some just second, third liner banging out there. He's got 80 fucking points. He had 80 points last year, and he's projected to get 80 again this year. So Yeah, I mean, he's got 19 goals, 34 assists, 53 points right now, I think. 
So, I mean, and he's a he's a power play player too, right? So, I mean, he's going to help anybody else, help any team he goes to on a power play. I think he's got 11 goals on a power play or something like that, or 11 points anyways. So, yeah. um, the Columbus fans don't want to see him go. I think we talked about they had a billboard from a liquor company yeah. who's trying to give him free liquor for the rest of the year for life or something to stay, <laughs> something stupid. But, you know, the fans want him to stay, obviously, as an organization like Columbus. I mean, if you like uh, – you know, the Rangers getting rid of uh, Zabinajad or Zuccarello or Kreider or one of your best guys. I mean, as a fan, you hate to see that happen because you don't know who's going to come in and can they fill 80 points. I mean, it's not easy. Yeah, I mean, they either got to give these boys a contract or else get a, a, a lot, a lot of players for these two. I mean, Panarin, you're going to get, you got to get at least three or four guys in a first round pick for him. So, uh, uh, even that, you know, that draft with uh, Toronto, I mean, that trade with Toronto and L.A. kind of set the stage for the uh, trade deadline coming up, um, you know, for L.A. to give away two prospects and a first round pick, you know, I mean, for Toronto to give that away for one player, that's pretty big. What it boils down to, going back to Columbus, is with Bobrovsky and Panner, and it's they aren't negotiating either on a, on a contract extension, so the the brass of those of that team i mean they're kind of they're hand they're not handcuffed but they got to make a decision because if these guys don't want to you know negotiate a contract extension i mean what value do they bring to the team you know so they're trying to get some kind of value besides the fact that they're you know excellent players the team has to look at their you know at the end game and say well listen if these players aren't willing to negotiate we got to try to get something out of them while we can so that's that's where you start hearing all this trade deadline uh stuff going on so see what happens yeah, yeah. Trent, sorry, Mark. Trent Frederick made a pretty good uh, a pretty good uh, notch in the roster for the Boston Bruins. I'm sure they brought him up, you know, because he's been playing in Providence in the AHL for all year, and uh, they brought him up. I'm assuming they brought him up to, you know, take a look at him, you know, because he might be on the chopping block. And uh, he played pretty well his first NHL game uh, against Winnipeg and actually got into a big fight. And uh, gave it to Tanav. Um, I don't know if anyone saw it. It was a great fight. His parents were pumped in the stands. His dad was freaking out. It was awesome. Oh, man. There was so much energy and he was so fired up screaming after. I mean, that is just so cool to see. I mean, that's his boy. I mean, you know, just as, as a father, seeing your son beat the shit out of somebody, you know, it's, you know, it was on a <laughs> hockey rink. You can't really cheer it on. But I mean, it's just that testosterone coming out of his dad. I mean, that was so cool to see. I think uh, his teammates really respected him for that, too. I mean, they were giving him the pats on the ass and all that, banging their sticks on the board. So, I mean, that was big for him. You know, that probably got him another cup of coffee in the NHL. And, you know, he, he proved himself as a tough guy. And, you know, that was cool to see. Yeah, mom and mom and dad, dad especially, the reaction was kind of the priceless. Uh, that was priceless, for sure. That was, that was really cool to watch. Yeah, we actually had uh, Trent on the podcast, episode 34, if any listeners want to check that out. Trent came on and talked to us about uh, a couple fights he had in the AHL, so that was a pretty good podcast with him on there. That was uh, episode 34. He's going to throw the fist. Yeah. Yep. Just real quick on the, the trade stuff. I mean, I'm looking at some of these teams and what's going to happen, and, you know, what's – Pittsburgh going to do you know they started to lose again some games and you know how long can they hold on to Kessel and Malkin and Crosby and even Latang maybe I mean they won't get rid of Latang because he's awesome but you know some all these teams with these young superstars now it's like you know how long can they hold on to these veterans I mean 
I mean, at some point, you got to trade them to get what you can get for them before they get too old and you can't pick somebody up, you know? Yeah, the so, peng Penguins are beating uh, Tampa right now, four to nothing, with eight minutes left in the third. They've uh, been five for five their last ten games before the All Star break. So you're right, Mark. I mean, they got to start picking it up here and doing something, especially with with that roster that they have on paper. Yeah, just like you know that that roster has been there and it's been great for years. And you know, as a GM, when when do you look at it and say, well, you know, if I trade Kessel right now. You know, before he's too old, I can get this. Or if I trade Malkin, you know, I can get this guy and this guy. Like, you know, at some point you have to look at it, you know, when is it time to trade some of these guys, you know, because obviously there's a point when their trade value is going to start to decline. Yeah, for sure. Penguins can't beat the Devils. You guys notice that? <laughs> yeah. I've seen that. For some reason they can't beat the fucking Devils. That's kind of weird. What about the – oh, going through puberty. What about the Islanders? I mean – they're up there in first place in the Metropolitan Division, 63 points. Yeah, they're kind of a sleeper still, though. Even though they're in first place, like, you don't hear a lot of, like, chatter about the Islanders. You know, they're just staying up there. They're winning games. And, you know, if you watch uh, some of these shows on TV or you listen to some of these analysts, I mean, they're skipping over the Islanders. They're talking about Tampa Bay. They're talking about Toronto. They're talking about, you know, yeah. Calgary. Hey, don't don't forget about the Islanders. I mean, they haven't been good for a while, but they're pretty good this year. Very Listen, strong. how many shows have I mentioned about the Islanders, man? You don't want to play those guys. I, I was saying at, at first when I started these started talking about the Islanders, I was saying you don't want to play them if, if they're an eight seed against a one seed. Now they're now they're sitting at the top of the friggin' division. So I mean, it's it's really it's crazy. Yeah, goal differentials plus twenty five, and they got you know Matthew Barzell who's just lighting it up. Yeah, they're. They're not a team to uh, take lightly, that's for sure. Playing we're well getting, for shots. Playing well. We're getting part of the season now where, um, you know, we talk about the playoffs. Uh, playoffs? You know, like every game is going to, you know, count now. And before we're saying, well, there's still half the season left. Well, half the season left. Like, look at the Rangers. They're 10 points out of a wild card. So, I mean, that's five games they got to win and, you know, five games somebody has to lose. So, I mean, that's hard to catch up 10 points. So, I mean, when there's only 35 games or, you know, some might have up to closer to 40, but, I mean, it's going to get crunch time for some of these teams that are a little ways out of the wild card, for sure. For sure. It's going to be fun here, the last last stretch, finally get into summer. Yeah, a couple injuries here and there. It could knock some people out of the wild card pretty quickly. So it should be interesting to see what happens in the, in the next few weeks and who creeps up and who falls out and, it's uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. Where's the, where are the um, Wild at right now in the standings, Pat? In the Central, they're third. Um, they're doing pretty well. They got three points. They actually played Dallas on Friday, who's in fourth place in the Central. Um, so that's going to be a big game. Um, that's in Dallas. Uh, so, you know, Minnesota's 55 points in the Central. Dallas is 52. So if Minnesota can pull a win in Dallas that's going to get them up to 57 points and be five points you know have a nice five point cushion in the central of course you still have Winnipeg at uh, top 66 in Nashville and I think I've said numerous times those two teams are going to be flip-flopping one and two throughout the season unless like you just said somebody gets hurt um, but 
Minnesota, Dallas, and Colorado, they're going to be flip-flopping there for the third, fourth, and fifth with, you know, St. Louis and Chicago going to anchor the central division on the bottom. And we just Minnesota had to sit there with a, a zero differential. You see that? Yeah, zero differential. That's really weird. Goals for 142, goals against 142. That's crazy. So, so the up Michael Kapla, the Wild just picked up uh, defenseman Michael Kapla from the Devils and changed for Ryan Murphy. Yeah, I, I, most of that's just kind of uh, AHL players' prospects to me. Um, the Iowa Wilds, third in the American Hockey League. You got uh, the Charlotte Checkers, they're in first place. Uh, then you got Grand Rapids, who are in um, second place. And then you got Iowa, who's in third. So um, they're, they're, Minnesota's trading a lot, you know, for both teams. They want to fire both squads up, the you know, in the AHL and the NHL. So most of those recent trades, though, I think those are just kind of AHL deals. I mean, they might move them up and down into the show what, but what do you think about uh sending erickson and cunning down i thought they were all about cunning the last few weeks man everybody was talking about how good he was and next thing you know he's getting sent down is that because of a couple pickups they had or well the website said that they just wanted to continue on his you know keep him healthy keep him you know game shape ready um but yeah i mean he was on top line penalty kill power play um it kind of sucks, you know. You got you coming into the All Star break, both guys, Ack and Cunning on on the NHL team playing in the NHL for the last two three weeks. Can't, consistent. yeah, consistent. Can't wait to go on the All Star break and take a fucking week off, and then you hear that they send you down to the <laughs> AHL and just fucking. There we go. Fuck, that must. That was like a kick in the nuts, you know. You going on to some. <laughs> down to Cancun or somewhere cool to I heard they both had uh, vacations planned and uh, scratch that and head down to the Iowa. Hey, they had one of the longest <laughs> break. I mean, they, they were off until Friday. I mean, some of the teams were back on Monday night. So, I mean, they only had about three games the last couple nights each, but um, the wild ended up getting a pretty lengthy break the way their schedule worked out there. So didn't you end up uh, hanging out with one of the wild guys down on a adventure in Florida? Yeah, so I went with Jordan Greenway um, on his all-star break down to uh, PGA National. We played some golf um, at PGA National, actually where the Honda Tour is going to be um, February 22nd. So we got to play that that course, which was unreal. It's not cheap. It's almost five hundred bucks a round, but in that round you get a you get a caddy and a professional um, a golf coach. Who you know, each hole he would kind of take one player and go through each shot and take you off to the side and show you a couple tips, um, you know, based on your posture and your swing and things like that. So how many how many holes did it take for him to just say fuck it with you? Um, actually he taught me a lot, just a couple simple things of just kind of sucking in my belly button and, um, not bending my knees. He says I bend my knees too much. And just with that little torque, um, I did much better. He's oh, your arthritis. So that's why you bend them. Well, he said that, uh, I definitely need new clubs. The ones from Walmart just aren't doing it anymore. Yeah. 
PJ National five hundred dollar round and you're playing with three hundred dollar clubs. <laughs> it was great though, just to you know walk up the fairways of these uh, these holes that the uh, pros are going to be walking up here in a few weeks. And to be honest with you, you know I I thought I was going to be really really bad, like ten eleven on every hole. Um, you know, obviously we weren't teeing off from the blacks that the black tee box. Um, we played from the whites and, um, you know, I got, I got a few pars and uh, a few bogeys, double bogeys. Um, the toughest part is, you know, once you get up to that, you know, getting onto the green when you're a hundred yards out, it's impossible. It's just surrounded by sand traps and the green is just up and down like a mountain. It's a, it's tough. And they're probably fast as shit, so you can barely touch the ball. Yeah, play. so, you know, what I took from it is, you know, yeah, these PGA players, they have a killer first shot straight down the fairway. And then they're usually looking at the green, you know, their second shot, where I was looking at the green in my third or fourth shot. But for them to actually get a birdie, you know, they have to place that ball on their second shot within a birdie pot you know, and to do that, to that's, you know, that's where they say, you know, the chipping, you know, chipping makes the, uh, chipping and putting makes a golfer. And especially in the PGA, I, I definitely believe that. Were the greens huge or were they pretty tight? Um, some were big, some were small. Um, I did the bear trap. So at the Honda classic at the PGA national, it's the famous bear trap. So 16, 17, and 18 are surrounded by water on both sides. Um, 16 is over water. I think it's 100 and 175 feet over the water onto the green, and it's almost like a peninsula of the green. Um, I, I gave it three of my best shots and uh, decided just to walk and take it in. <laughs> What's a six-pack cost on that course? So we get a six pack to go out on the course was fifty six dollars, and then you give a tip, so sixty bucks, sixty one dollars for ten dollars six, beer. six beers. And they probably weren't like uh, Dogfish IPA, hundred twenty minutes or something. No, Bud Lights. <laughs> Bud Lights, sixty bucks. Yeah, that's crazy. It was a good time though. We went. Uh, sport fishing we took a yacht out into uh the atlantic off fort lauderdale and did some uh fishing caught some really really big fish and uh <laughs> had a good time it was a good time jordan enjoyed it he liked to uh just relax and not have to think about hockey and you know that's what i was getting back to with cunning and eck you know those boys didn't get a week off and it's just constant games and flying and road trips and practice so um to get a week off really uh helps those guys kind of get back in the groove mentally too i'm sure you know you, you go down and play golf for four days you kind of get away from uh the stress of being an nhl player because you know especially for like a guy like eck and cunning you know they're getting moved up and down um you know that's stressful trying to stay in the lineup trying to play it like a top performance every night and to have one bad shift can send you down um you know that stress level is just you know amazing that these guys you know they have a that we don't even think about as spectators watching them play the sport but i mean they're they're playing for their lineup and they're stressful. playing stressful you know they're playing to be there right and it's like you know when you're 
trying to perform at the, the highest level you possibly can every second that you're on that ice. I mean, it turns into a stressful job, you know. People don't realize some of these professional athletes. Not, not only that, that, not only that, but their bodies are beat up too, you know. I mean, it takes a toll on you mentally as well yeah. as physically. I mean, having your body beat up fucks up your head too, you know. So yeah, uh, that's really cool though, Pat, that you got to spend that weekend with Jordan and um, got to do a lot of cool stuff. Not everybody can say they played on a course designed by Jack Nicholas. So yeah. uh, that's that's awesome, dude. That's a great experience, and I'm, I'm glad that Jordan got to wind down and, uh, have fun same with you man get out of yeah. town it was a good time Enjoy some beautiful weather. yeah that's awesome all right boys that's uh, a pretty good episode and uh, we'll get back into uh, hockey and the rest of the season the second half of the season so check us out on bluelinehockeyclub.com for all 45 podcasts uh, and also make sure you check us out on facebook and twitter we have all kinds of stuff that we put up there not just podcasts so if you're looking for good hockey news or some good insight of what the blue line hockey guys are up to uh check us out and uh you know, make sure you're sharing us with all your buddies and liking us on facebook and all that good stuff so until next time folks keep your stick on the ice to ya well oh doctor keep your head up <laughs> 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 <laughs>